This is the weekly message from Hope Church Malmesbury. We're so glad you can join us. This week's sermon is part of our series, The Promise and the Purpose. We're walking slowly through the Gospel of Luke, verse by verse, promise by promise. Find out more about Hope Church and how to support our ministry at www.thehope.church. I hope this message will help you to see the good purpose that God has for your life and help you to walk in faith and rely on his promises every day. Here's the message. Right, here's the bad joke. Right, you ready? Mainly for you guys, okay? What has a hundred heads and a hundred tails? Anyone? No, (laughs) she said 101 Dalmatians. Why wouldn't it be 101? Okay, a hundred coins. Duh. (laughs) What would you do if a bull charged you? I'd pay whatever it charged. And how did the dinosaur pay his bill at the restaurant? With Tyrannosaurus checks. Goodbye, children. I'm sorry. (laughs) God bless you. Have fun. The children are going downstairs today to Jack Dawes to have a little treat and a planning time. So if you wonder where your children have gone, that's where they are. (laughs) Just downstairs. Awesome. Okay, I'm going to grab this and I'm going to start with this and I didn't want to take extra time but I really feel it's important to declare something over us. So if you have your phone and your phone has your Bible in it, feel free to grab it. If you have your Bible, feel free to grab it and repeat after me. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I'll do what it says I'll do. Amen. Amen. This is your Bible. It's true. It's real. It's honest. It tells you what you need to do. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. So let's have a look at Luke chapter 20 in our long season of Luke. And let's see what's happening today. Starting at verse 19. The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them, but they feared the people. Go listen to the recording of last week's message if you want to, it's a very good sermon from Steve, if you want to know why the religious leaders are so fuming with Jesus at the start of this passage. Let's carry on. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere that they might catch him in something he said so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. So they asked him, teacher, We know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? But he perceived their craftiness and said to them, Show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? They said, Caesar's. He said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said. But marvelling at his answer, they became silent. They didn't feel at the beginning of this uh, interaction, they didn't feel that they could take on Jesus because of his popularity. It says that they feared the people. That's why they didn't try and arrest him and grab him for speaking against them already. So they did what any priest might do. (laughs) They sent out spies to catch him in something. 
Obviously, that's the first port of call for everyone, isn't it? We must send out spies. <laughs> and they did this so they could legitimately arrest him. And I think it's what an interesting tack that the spies take. Because they lead Jesus into the sticky world of money, something that so often traps many of us one way or another. You can almost see it in your imagination. The spies, a cartoon style, rubbing their hands together as they start by flattering Jesus and then they pose that heavily baited question. Teacher, we know that you speak rightly and show no partiality, but you truly teach the way of God. <laughs> Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? I love that Jesus sees right through them. He perceived their craftiness, it says in verse 23. You know, money is a really difficult subject. It's like a poisoned chalice in the preaching schedule. And sadly, Christian leaders are often harshly treated by the media over their teaching, earning, or spending of money. You look at it, Google a favorite Christian teacher, and you will see somebody, another Christian, speaking badly about how they earned, spent, or talked about money. And ordinarily, I avoid talking about money in church <clears throat> at all costs. But today, actually, I'm really excited. I'm even more excited since in the prayer meeting, someone prayed about the finances of the church, and she didn't know that I was going to preach on money. And I am going to preach a bit on money, but not just money. So I need you to receive this, because I believe I have a now word, a rhema word today for you, that you will, if you take it on board, and if you accept and see what I see in the scripture, if you see it, it will take you to a greater place of blessing in all areas of your life. I think at the beginning, Mark read something that said every, every area of your life. Say every, every area of your life. So I just want to pray right now for us all. Father God, I pray that you will speak through me, Lord God, that nothing of me will come through but only you, Lord God, through my mouth. And Lord, I pray that those who need a revelation this morning and an awakening in their spirit or in what they see in your word, Lord God, that you will open their eyes, Lord God. And I pray that every single one of us will receive your word to us today. Amen. Right, so first I'm really going to quickly fix something. I'm probably talking to people who already get this, but I'm going to go there anyway. There's a popular misquote of the Bible that's shaped some of our hardwired responses to money. So we're going to put it right, right now. Money is not the root of all evil, just so as you know. 1 Timothy 6, verse 9 to 10 is where they get that from, though. So, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. That's true. We all know that. We can see that, right? For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So the Bible clearly says that it is the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil, but it's, it's the love and the desire for money that's causing all the trouble, isn't it? That means it's our attitude about money that's important, not the money itself. 
Money has no power, actually, and I'm about to point that out, but it is absolutely necessary for life. The way life has been since almost day one, since very early on, money has been a way to, to barter and pay for and get what we need in life. But that's a problem because one of the things that happens as we think about money is that we start to magnify money. We sang the song, I exalt thee. And that's what we should be doing is magnifying God, making him bigger, raising him up above it. But what we often do is we far too easily attribute to money the power that really only God has in our lives. Let me show you why I think this. Be honest, this list of the benefits of money sounds reasonable, doesn't it? Money opens doors for us. It provides for our needs. It makes us feel safe. And it gives us peace. It takes our worries away because we don't have to worry about how we're going to pay that bill next week or which things I have to choose because I can't choose it all. But, you know, that isn't quite right. You see, that's what money appears to do for us. But God promises all of that and much, much more for us. So let's have a look. God promises to open doors for us. Revelation 3 verse 8. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. God provides for all our needs. Philippians 4 verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And God promises to make you feel safe. Psalm 4 verse 8. In peace I will both lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. And if you want to, you can go and read Psalm 91 all by yourself because I would have had to put the whole thing up there. But it's basically a list of how God keeps us safe. And if you were a Christian or following um, any kind of Christian broadcast during COVID, you will have heard Psalm 91 an awful lot because it was something that we were declaring over ourselves as a protection against plague as well. Um, so um, think about it. God keeps us safe. He, not money. And God can guard us against way more than money can. For example, he gives us peace and he takes our worries away. Philippians 4, verse 6 to 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So... We might put trust, our trust, in money easier than we put our trust in God's promises, mainly because we can see it. It's right there, either in our wallet or in our bank balance, and when it's not, it makes us very, very anxious. But again, that's not really a money problem. It's an attitude problem. It's an attitude to the money or lack of it problem. I believe that if we live by faith, as 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7 says, we walk by faith, not by sight. Whether we have money or not, we will prosper if we walk by faith. I'm not saying that you will not have a difficulty in paying a bill. I am saying that you will prosper in the way that you have success. You will feel joy and have 
joy. You can feel it when you decide, I've got it, and you know you have it. A bit like uh, Critty was saying earlier. Don't just trust the feeling. Don't be looking for the feeling. I'm saying it comes when we walk by faith. When we walk going, where's the next pound coming from? Where's the next pound coming from? We are not walking in faith or peace. And that's not how we're designed to be. And I believe it's our magnification of the money and giving it, attributing to it the power that only God has, which is what leads us to sin, that all kinds of evil that I just read from 1 Timothy 6 verse 10. Now, let's be honest. I think most of us would like to avoid handing so much of a percentage of our wages over to the government, wouldn't we? Let's be honest, when we're talking about leading us to all kinds of sin, I think, especially for a Christian, one of the the biggest temptations to sin is to try and hide some of our money from the government Um, because it doesn't seem fair. It's not fair, especially while some of our welfare systems are such a disgrace. I mean, something's really wrong when a hard-working nurse has to visit a food bank in order to feed her children. Something's wrong, people. And it is absolutely ridiculous that somebody with a full-time job is worse off than somebody who gives up their job to live off benefits because it works out better for them. And that's the truth for many people in this country. And it makes me angry. And I'm getting political. And you never see that. But you see, that's just it. Money leads us into political arguments. In fact, as I was writing this, I realised all politics revolves around money. It actually does. Have a think about it at home later. And politics, I think, is the reason that the spies in today's passage used the money question to try to trap Jesus. What they asked was, is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? So here's the political problem. If Jesus said, pay your taxes it would be interpreted as denying the sovereignty of God and his popularity with the Jews would then diminish because he would be somehow raising Caesar up in saying that, they thought. But if, and that meant he would be easier to grab because the reason they couldn't lay hands on him was his popularity at the beginning of the passage. But if Jesus said, don't pay your taxes, he would then be making himself an enemy of Rome. Either way, he would be finding himself in trouble But Jesus, as I said to you, was wise to their motives. And his answer, I love this, silenced the troublemakers, literally. Luke 20, verse 24 to 26. Show me a denarius, Jesus said. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? They said, Caesar's. He said to them, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Marvelling at his answer, they became silent. I love it. He silences them. Oh, if only we could have a bit more of that in our lives. The clever answer, Lord. Uh, (laughs) Jesus simply points out that the coin bears the image of Caesar. So if Caesar asks for it, pay him with it. Don't withhold your payments due to government. And let's be very clear, because I got a bit political earlier, so let me just point out that the Roman occupation was not a democratically voted authority. It's a dictatorship, if you want to think of it in our our modern terms. 
The regular Joe on the street had no say over what taxes or payments were due to his government. There was no welfare system, there was no NHS, there was no Department of Work and Pensions, there was no benefits for them to claim. I think you get the point, because Jesus' answer was clear even then. Whether you agree with your government's approach or not, you pay, because it's part of your obedience to the authority structure placed over you. And actually, and this is just me, not the Bible, but I've always felt this in life, that if we place ourselves within God's order of things correctly, whether or not the other person that is above us deals correctly with it is irrelevant. We did our part the way we should do it, and that makes us safe, clear, and clean with God. Because you will have done what God told you to do. And that's the only responsibility you have is what you do. So Romans 13 verse 5 to 7 says, It is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment. And I love that. You don't do it just because you might get into trouble. (gasps) But also as a matter of conscience. That's deep down inside you. This is also why you pay taxes. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honour, then honour. Yes, I'm leaving a couple of bits of the verses out because I would be here till, you know, till the end of the summer holidays otherwise. So I'm trying to get through what I feel is God's teaching for us this morning. Um, But go read it all fully if you want to yourselves. So what did he say? Remember, this is a letter to the people of Rome. It's Romans. That's why it's called Romans. There's no democracy in Rome. People have no say. Still, the Apostle Paul tells them that they should respectfully pay. And if that was true for them, how much more true is it for us here in the UK today? Thankfully, we actually do live in a democracy. Don't give me your opinion on that. It really is true. We do apparently live in a democracy and our opinion does apparently matter to our government. And I'm going to say, I think it actually does. Because do you know that one letter to your MP is regarded as the opinion of a thousand constituents? That's pretty good, isn't it? Because what it is regarded as is there were a thousand other people, or say 999 other people, who didn't bother to write this opinion. This one opinion is held by a thousand others. Isn't that amazing? So it actually does really make a difference to say, and I hear too much moaning amongst people. I'm not pointing at anyone. I'm just saying this is what we all do. We moan to each other about it. Stop moaning. Start writing. I can actually put my hand up and say, I've written many times to my MP, so I feel okay about bringing this message. But even if I didn't, I'd be now inspired to start writing. Stop moaning, start writing. Have your say. You get to have a say. We don't live in Rome. Get your say out there. I don't care whether you voted for that MP or not. It really doesn't matter. He's your MP or she's your MP. And they represent you in government. So you have to start with them whether you like them or you don't like them. Your letter represents a thousand others. Okay, I really pushed that one. Clearly somebody needed to start writing. Um, (laughs) But then, regardless of their response, regardless of their actions, we still need to obey and pay. Because unless you actually have a job running in the government, actually doing it, your role in running this country is to pray, say, 
then obey and pay. That's it. (laughs) And Romans 13 verses 1 to 2 is also very clear about this, so I'm just going to labour it a second longer. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed and those who resist will incur judgment and he doesn't mean from the authorities. When we resist or rebel against the government, we resist or rebel against God. Oh my gosh, that's huge. We have to be very careful of dressing up our rebellion in a Christian robe. God has placed Christians. Guys, if you are Christian, this is what you need to hear. God has placed things in order. And whilst you're rebelling against the institution, you're playing right into the devil's hands as you're literally disobeying God. Sorry, I'm just telling it like it is. Okay, so Jesus said, and the the good bit's coming. That wasn't the good bit. That was just the strong bit. Here comes the good bit. Jesus said, give to Caesar what is his, that which bears his image. And to God, what is his? So what is God's? What bears his image? You are worthy of it all. What is the all? What bears his image? We do. Thank you. That's exactly what I had written down. (laughs) Genesis 1, verses 26 to 27 said, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So, and verse 27, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So ladies, we don't get out of this by saying it's a men. (laughs) All of us are created in his image. Humanity is made in God's image. So Jesus' point was, give your government the money they demand and give God your entire self. That's easy, isn't it? (laughs) And that's actually what we do when we choose to become a Christian. When we choose to follow Jesus, we give him our life. We say that. Have you given your life to Jesus? We give him our life. We place ourselves in his hands. We submit everything to him and his ways for us. Romans 12 verses 1 to 2 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You know, renewal of your mind means rewriting your programming. And I think your programming is the things you have learned through life experience because it has programmed you to behave in a certain way, right? So our programming has naturally been input throughout our life experience. But our life experience are the ways of the world to which we should not be conforming. Take that in for a minute. God has a different way, a higher way, a greater way for us to live. And if we submit everything to him, say everything. Say it again like you mean it. (laughs) You will know what is God's will and what is good, acceptable and perfect. Wouldn't you like to know what is good, acceptable and perfect? I would. If we submit to God everything, then we will know that. The government requires taxes, but God requires everything. Submit everything to God. Everything about our lives, say everything. Everything. 
Yes, everything, everything we have and think and are belong to God. So that includes, if you need a list, your thoughts, your time, your skills, your energy, your talents, your family, your pets, your property, and your money. You know, what you do with your money is an indication of your heart and priorities. So as I bring this message to a close, I am going to walk over that sticky patch of money a little further because I want to finish with a brief thinking about our financial giving to God. You see, first of all, I want to start this bit, and it's very clear. We are free. We are not under any law. So you should go figure out how you give to God what is his everything, how you give him your everything and how you decide to do that in the area of money. That is up to you. And don't forget, it includes our physical body, our mind, our thoughts, our time, energy, skills and talents too. Okay, so when we're talking about what we give to God, I am going to be talking about money for a minute, but I am also, I want you to keep that in mind. That's all there too. In case it's helpful... I've decided to share my personal thoughts on giving to God for me for now. And I think that's important because we change our thoughts on these things. For me for now, this is my truth. But because we are free, we get to choose how we do things. But I think it's helpful as your pastor to share with you what I think about the word tithe. And I'm going to use the word tithe because I actually think tithing is good. Uh Uh-oh. Where's she going with this? Because another popular Bible misunderstanding is that tithe is an Old Testament, Old Covenant thing that's no longer required because of Jesus' new covenant. Well, let's just clear this up a little bit. A tithe is literally a word meaning a tenth. So when I say tithe, I just mean a tenth. It's literally, that's all it means. Okay, a tenth. Certainly the tithe was in the Hebrew law, as were the Ten Commandments. But I put it to you today, as a good lawyer might, that the Ten Commandments and the tithe predated the law and are still relevant today. And I'm going to give you a quick example from the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments list these two commandments, thou shalt not covet, thou shalt not kill. That hadn't been written as a law when Adam and Eve's son Cain killed his brother Abel in jealousy right at the beginning of time. Yet, it's very clear in Genesis that God was very angry with him and Cain was punished for that action. Cain could have said, oops, sorry, it's not in law, I didn't know not to. But he knew, because we know. We know deep down inside that with or without a law, it's wrong to kill another human. We don't really need that written in a law. It shouldn't even need to be in law, should it? It's just not okay to take another human being's life. Similarly, giving out of our prosperity to God and tithing was happening long, 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 hundreds and hundreds of years before the law. So let's quickly go through that. The first account of giving to God is actually in the story of Abel and Cain. It's the reason Cain got jealous. Abel gave an offering to God that was his first and best from his flock. But Cain gave to God some of his crops. Do you see the difference? That dog-eared cabbage and the comedy courgettes will do. (laughs) 
Genesis doesn't record this offering as a tithe, so we don't know if it was a tenth. We don't know what percentage Abel and Cain gave, but it is an offering, and I bring it here because it's an offering to God out of the prosperity of their daily work, and that's what I'm bringing here. Then Abraham, which is long, long, long before the law still, we are talking hundreds of years, gives a tithe a tenth of his spoils to Melchizedek. You can read all about it in Genesis 14 if you want to go and read about it. And there's a lot more to see. This would be its own sermon on its own, so I'm not going there. But I do just want to read to you what Hebrews says about it. Hebrews 7 verses 4 to 6 says, See how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people. But this man, who does not have his descent from them, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Let me just sum that up for you. The Levitical priesthood were the ones that within the law would receive the tithes from Israel as part of the commandment of the law. But Levi's great-granddad, Levitical priesthood comes from Levi, but Levi's great-granddad, Abraham, voluntarily gave tithes to Melchizedek, who I'm put to you represented Jesus in the Old Testament, okay? And Abraham was blessed by him when he did that. Then later in Genesis, Jacob, that's Abraham's grandson and Levi's dad, just to put him into context for you, makes a promise to God, and this is what he says early on in his, in his story. Genesis 28, verse 21. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you, says Jacob. Jacob promised a tithe to God, a tenth, long before law made it a thing. So please hear me. I'm not preaching that you must give a religious 10% tithe to the church. It's up to you what you do and how you do it. I'm saying this is what makes sense for me. This is what brings me a sense of freedom right now, actually. Because actually, when I thought about it, the very least I should be giving to God is a tenth of my time, money, thoughts, energy, talents. And I've said money already. For some reason, I've written it down twice. Money. (laughs) Abel gave God his first and best. Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils of war. Jacob committed a full tenth of everything to God, and all these happened hundreds of years before the law of tithing was even created. So, as I bring this to a close, in this time of financial stretching across the globe, I truly believe that we have been given a way to prosper that does not walk the way of the wicked. And there seems to be plenty of evidence in the Bible that as we place our wealth into God's hands, he places his wealth of blessing into ours. And it is a controversial thing that I just said there, but I want you to keep walking with me just a little further through the scriptures so that you see it yourself. And if you don't, come and talk to me, because I really believe it's not about giving a tenth of our money. It's about placing ourselves. It's the same with the government thing that I started with. The whole thing is the same sermon. It's about placing you in God's ways for you. And if you place yourself in God's ways for you, everything else sort of falls itself into place. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added unto you is like the key of all of this, really. So let's quickly look at the ancient Hebrew letters for the word wealth. There it is, asar. Interestingly, the root of the word Asar is Asher, which is another of Jacob's sons, and actually his name means happy and healthy, and I think that's worth mentioning here. Now we're going to look at the ancient Hebrew letters for tithe. 
Massa. Massa. Can you see it? Wealth is literally hidden in the word tithe. Wealth doesn't just denote financial prosperity. It's so much more. It's fulfillment. It's joy. It's your children looked after. It's Asher. It's happy and healthy. Hebrew reads from right to left. So that first symbol on the right is the extra symbol to Asher becoming Masha, or Asa becoming Masa, however you say it. Um, so that first symbol is the one on the far right, and that is a picture of water flowing, which means either spirit or most often is used as Holy Spirit. It's so important we follow the Holy Spirit's leading in our finances. Proverbs 3, verse 5 to 10, and who knew this was there? You have quoted the beginning of this scripture. You have it on your fridge, probably. Read all of it. Here it goes. Proverbs 3, verse 5 to 10. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. You know that bit, right? Then it says, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honour the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. So to sum up, my message today is live right under our earthly government. Pray, say, then obey and pay. (laughs) And give God what is first and best from our lives. And I'm including our time, energy, talents, as well as our money in there. In doing this, we can trust that we are right where God wants us and he makes us wealthy, happy and healthy in all sorts of ways. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6 to 10 says this, and I want to just say it over us all. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one, verse 7, must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. To paraphrase the Old Testament prophet Malachi, try it and see. Let's pray. Mighty living God, everything I have is yours. Everything I am, everything I own, everything I've grown and created, everything I think, my mind is yours to refine, to use and renew. I submit myself and my everything to you today. In my response to government, I pray that you help me renew my thinking to pray, say, obey and pay. And in my response to you, God, Please help me, Holy Spirit, to live in faith, to expect you to be my door opener, safety net and provider. 
And I pray that you guide me, Holy Spirit, in the distribution of all my time, energy, thoughts, talents, skills, and finances. And I thank you that I will be blessed and prosper, even as my soul prospers. Amen. Amen. Amen.